Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, and Chris, as always, man, appreciate you joining us. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm good, John. Um, yeah, I don't know how you guys are doing there in Razorback country, but, uh, man, maybe, maybe we can lift some spirits today. <laughs> well, uh, let's try that. What can you say to try to lift people's spirits right now? Because it's pretty low, especially when you get blown out on the road against Mississippi State. Yeah, it's uh, it's not going to lie. Look, I mean, everybody who started a back again um, in the SEC, not feeling good about themselves. I mean, even now Alabama started Jalen Milrose, still won the game, but man, they're, they're ready to jump off a bridge uh, all over the state of Alabama today. So, um, you know, Kentucky went through it. Arkansas went through it. Uh, the only thing with Arkansas, though, is, man, it feels like that one could have been more competitive. I don't know where, I don't know what practice uh, we missed where Kate Fortin was suddenly light years better than Malik Hornsby, and this coaching staff was like, ah, he's the clear number two. But, man, what we saw to Hornsby, it feels like he should have been the, the, you know, the go-to guy that started that game. The offense and game plan should have been tailored around Malik Hornsby's strength. And I feel like the Razorbacks would have put up a much better fight this past weekend. But uh, it's just just kind of funny because I've been talking to a lot of people the last few weeks who are like, oh, Barry Odom, what's wrong with the defense? What's wrong with the defense? And, And there's still those issues. But this felt like this was the first week where I heard, "Hey, what's up with Browse in the offense? Why, you know, why did they not tailor more plays to suit Hornsby's uh, strengths? And you know, maybe he might have had a chance to stay in this game uh, rather than get blown out." Chris, it seems like it was more of a case that they did have a plan to play both quarterbacks, and it probably did make more sense to start with Fortin and go to Hornsby as opposed to starting Hornsby and then going to Fortin because. You know, why Why at some point would you bring Fortin into that game? I guess if that makes sense, that's probably what the thinking was that they planned on playing to and they stuck to the script. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, in hindsight, it's always twenty twenty, but, you know, now we're, we're in a spot where you lost three in a row and, and you know, what, what's the rest of the season look like? I mean, are there more losses to come or, you know, can we be positive and say you're going to get KJ back and the team's going to fight hard and, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day who was telling me, you know, they thought KJ was going to have a fantastic year and his chance he would be leaving after this year. And then I talked to the same guy this past weekend. He goes, yes, yeah, so the next year when KJ's back at Arkansas, um, you know, it's just kind of interesting looking at everything, um, you know, in a perspective and, and start to really, you know, in one breath this offseason, we're talking about it's, it's a positive that, man, how's Arkansas been able to keep Kendall Browns and Barry Odom? And now it's like, well, are, are, are either back next year or is one back? Are they both gone? So it's uh, it's just so funny how quickly things can change and perspective and all this. But I don't know, man. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more down on the Razorbacks now. I, I really thought, you know, when, when they cut it to 28-23 against Alabama, I, I was singing their praises and going, hey, man, here comes the upset. And then the defense just absolutely lays down and lets Jameer Gibbs and Jalen Miller run all over them. So, um, yeah, man, it's hard to find some rays of sunshine on this Monday morning, but uh, again, I, I guess the, the positive would be KJ's back soon and uh, and this offense can get right again. Honestly, Chris, the thing that I also took issue with in this game is like Arkansas just rushed three the entire game. Like, they don't have a good secondary. Their thing that they've actually done well this year in defense is getting after the quarterback, but they just let Will Rogers stand back there 
and never got touched. In fact, Arkansas didn't have a single negative play in this game. First time since 2016 they didn't cause a negative play. To me, that that was more horrendous. And I know Kendall Browse had his own issues that people were bringing up, but you can't rush three against Will Rogers the entire game and expect him not to not to throw for 400 yards. Yeah, I thought Matt House at LSU did a pretty good job of laying out the blueprint on how to how to beat Mississippi State, and, and really, that's picking and choosing your spots. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the LSU didn't bring pressure every down. They picked and, ch- and chose when to do it, but it seemed like every time they did it, they dialed up the right play and forced Mike Leach into some fourth downs and forced him to, to go for it, which turned out to backfire on them in that game. But you're right. I mean, it, 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 it's death by, you know, which poison? Do you want to drop uh, extra men into coverage when you're not even very good in the secondary anyway? Or do you want to take your chances and say, hey, let's bring some pressure, let's bring some guys? I thought for Arkansas's approach, you, know, you already know the secondary is so, so poor. I would have said, let's, let's take our chances, let some guys bring some extra pressure in, in Rodgers' face and make us beat us that way. But instead, we watch old Rodgers sit back there multiple times, guys. I counted seven, eight seconds back there, and he's just looking downfield waiting for his guys to get open. It was just That was the most frustrating thing of watching this game this past week is that they didn't even challenge Will Rodgers. They just kind of let him be back there and, and pick and choose who he wanted to throw for and or throw to, and when it's all said and done, it's a 400-yard passing day and three touchdowns, and yet again, the uh, the number's not looking good for uh, Arkansas in the secondary. Chris Moore impressed by after this weekend's games, Tennessee or Mississippi State. They both had impressive performances. Yeah, I would just say Tennessee, just from the standpoint of having to go into a hostile environment. I know Baton Rouge at 11 a.m. isn't the same as Baton Rouge at night, but uh, that, that stadium was sold out, and it was rocking, and you know, really, it was the LSU miscues that that led to Tennessee getting all that momentum. I mean, the opening kickoff, LSU gets it, fumbles it, Tennessee recovers, and if you blinked, it was ten nothing. And once they got to ten nothing, you know, I said all last week I thought LSU was going to have to throw the football because that's you know I still question Tennessee's secondary. I think that's where their weakness lies. But Jane Daniels was once again hesitant throwing the football, and and LSU couldn't take shots down the field. Um, they didn't actually start taking those shots until later in the game when it was already out of hand. But total just, uh, you know, dominant effort from Tennessee and a balanced attack, too. I was criticizing them a week ago saying, you know, their run game with Jabari Small had been inconsistent. And I think they, what, threw for 250, ran for 250, something like that. That was about as balanced as an effort as you could get. Um, Byron Young, big-time uh, playmaker, getting some sacks in that backfield. and. They're going into this game in Knoxville with Alabama with a lot of confidence. And uh, I think there's a good chance that they, uh, you know, if things go right, they could pull off the upset. I know everybody's on Bryce Young watch. Is he going to play or not? But uh, Tennessee should be feeling really good about themselves. That was as, as complete of a team effort, offense, defense, and special teams as you could get. Speaking with Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Brattle Fine Jewelry Hotline. So, Chris, do you think Tennessee's for real then? Like, I mean, because obviously if they beat Bama, they're in the national championship hunt. But do you think that this team has all the makings of not only competing for an SEC title, but possibly a national title? Well, that was the big thing. Everybody asked me at SEC Media Days in the offseason, you know, it's like, oh, who could, uh, could Tennessee or Kentucky compete with Georgia? And I kept saying, no, you know, but I think they're both good. And I thought Tennessee had a chance to go 10 2. Same for Kentucky. Unfortunately, Kentucky's already got their two losses. So that's going to be really hard for them to run the table. But. You know, I, the big reason was I thought Georgia was just going to clash by themselves. I didn't think either of those teams could beat Georgia. Uh, I still.
still don't know if I'm picking Tennessee to beat Georgia this year, but they have a chance. And, you know, look, the, the, the thing that stinks about these East West versus West matchups is they don't matter. Like, Tennessee could lose to Bama but beat Georgia, and they're still going to Atlanta. Tennessee could beat Bama but lose to Georgia, and their season is still, oh, okay, it was a good season, but it's not great. You know what I mean? So as much as we want to build up the East versus West games, they just they don't mean much unless, you know, you're, you're getting those wins over the, your counterparts in the West or the East. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, if Tennessee let, – let's say Bryce Young is limited again this week. It doesn't play. And Tennessee beats Jalen Miller on Alabama. Is that a huge feather in their cap? I mean, yeah, it's the first time you get the monkey off your back and beat Bama in a long time. But I think a lot of people will look at that game sideways and go, yeah, you beat Jalen Miller and not Bryce Young. Um, you know, even if Bryce Young goes in this game, is he 100%? You know, they're, they're always going to – Bama will have that excuse in their hip pocket as well. So, um, to answer your question, like, I still think Tennessee's not going to beat Georgia later this year. But let's see how both those teams are playing when we get to that game. And, you know, Tennessee may be ahead of schedule. I, I, I predicted, you know, it was going to take a couple of years for Eiffel to build this thing up. But, hey, if they could pull off that win this year and get to Atlanta, uh, those folks in Knoxville will be throwing a parade and building a statue for Josh Eiffel before the season's over. So, yeah, I still think it's Bama and Georgia right now for handicapping this thing. But, uh, like I said, very impressive what Tennessee looks like. And we'll see what they do this weekend. A&M went into the game against Bama, of course, facing a backup quarterback in Jalen Milrow, but also for the second year in a row, they go into the game with a backup quarterback, this time around as being Haynes King, which he was the starter last year, but they go into it with Zach Calzada. But the feeling at A&M has to be that they let one get away from them in the way that the game played out and they had a chance to win it in the end. They did, and Jimbo can miss me with that explanation. Like, no, Haynes King was your starting quarterback. Stop with the, you know, I know you benched him for Max Johnson. He's like, oh, well, we had our backup in, too. Shut up, Jimbo. That's your starter. That was your starter that you named coming out of training camp. So, um, yeah, and look, Haynes King played his butt off. And the offensive line for A&M, I thought, did as good of a job as could be considered in trying to slow down the Bama rush attack. I think Bama's still got some issues, particularly in that secondary. Terry and Arnold has not been very impressive for me. Uh, you know, where is Eli Ricks, the guy who was supposed to come in from LSU and be one of those lockdown corners? Uh, Bama's got some issues. And so I thought A&M did a pretty good job and probably should have won that game, man. I mean, I, it's one of those scenarios that I know you, you practice all summer and all camp leading up to the season. All right, we got a, a you know, a, a, a whatever in goal, uh, you know, from the second, from the two-yard line uh, to win the game with, with less than five seconds to go. You know, what do you dial up? And I thought that play call was absolutely atrocious from Jimbo Fisher. Not only is it, is it a hit trial, but it's, it's to the short side of the field and your receiver's coming back for it. I thought even if Haynes King had put that ball right on the money, the receiver catches it coming out of the goal line and probably, you know, is like six inches short of the goal line. They probably don't even call it a touchdown. I just thought it was an abysmal call. I would have rather even a rollout with Haynes King let him run or, or a pitch play or a screen play to A-Shane, something like that that would give you a chance. But, man, you throw the ball out of bounds, you don't even give your chance your team a chance to win that game. So it's one of those games that both teams come away feeling crummy. Alabama fans are just super pissed and upset and can't believe they actually played a game where they nearly lost again. You know, second time in, in a same season, Bama almost lost the game. My God, the sky is falling. And A&M's coming away going, yeah, third straight loss. Great, Jimbo. Glad we won that recruiting national championship because it looks like they're heading for another four or five loss season again. 
So we're at the halfway point of the season. Everybody's played six games for the most part. I know Tennessee had a bye week, but just in the in the final stretch of the SEC season where we start to see a lot more SEC games and the rivalries and all that, which team in the SEC do you feel like has the most to prove in this final six games? Oh, gosh, man. Um, you know, I, I, I would say maybe, like, I'm still not sure what Georgia is, right? I mean, they, they played those two games. The game against Kent State, the game against Mizzou, where they gave 22 points in both of them. And those came on the heels of, remember a few weeks ago, like I think Peter Burns even uttered the words, this might be the, the greatest Georgia team we've ever seen. Like that was actually words that were said. I think the Kent State coach ahead of their matchup said, this might be the most talented team in the history of college football. Like this, this is the hyperbole we fell down. And then suddenly Georgia played two close games and we're like, wait a minute, let's pump the brakes. Um, you know, it was 14 nothing. I believe, at halftime with Auburn. They, they took care of business in the second half. But I'm still trying to figure out, like, I, I want to see Georgia with some, some consistency. They've had games where they run the ball well. They've had some games where they look average running the football. We've had some games where Stetson Bennett looks Heisman-worthy, and then we've seen games where he just looks kind of mediocre and average. So I, I guess my big question is, what is Georgia? Because their schedule does set up very nicely for them. And, again, that Tennessee game will loom large, but – it feels like they do have a real chance to go undefeated. I, I thought Georgia and Alabama would both get to Atlanta, both with one loss. Bama has certainly played with fire twice. Um, that will be the interesting thing to me is can Georgia weather the storm and still go undefeated? Because if they slip up and lose the game along the way, and we're talking Bama and Georgia both have one loss going in the SEC title game, I think the winner that's in the playoff and the loser is probably on the outside looking in. So, um, probably Georgia, but man, it's just so funny how things could change in just one week with everybody playing all the backup quarterbacks. Got a lot of SEC fan bases not feeling very good about themselves this week. What's going on with this new trend in college football where you see the number one team or number two team have a close win and they end up dropping in the polls? That's something that we haven't really seen before <laughs> and it's happening now. Yeah, I think you're seeing, um, you know, it used to be an AP poll, like, and a lot of people, like, don't, don't look up who actually votes in the AP poll, guys. It used to be a lot of old-time lifers, like guys who have been on the, you know, college football beat for 30 years. A lot of those guys are either dying off or retiring, and we're getting a lot more 20-year-olds, you know, people who've just gotten into TV and worked in the SEC for two years, and now I've got an AP vote, you know. So you've seen a lot more younger people, which is good, because I think I think more and more the younger people pay attention more. You know, you, you may have a uh, the, the uh, you know the multiple TVs at your house like I do, and you're watching more games, so maybe you're a little bit more informed, but you're also more reactionary, right? Like, oh wait, I thought I thought Alabama was a world beater. They played a close game with A and M, and they were 24 point favorites. Yeah, I'm dropping them. Uh, I think the betting world has also had an influence. We talk we talk now more guys about point spreads than we ever did a decade ago uh, with matchups. ESPN literally listed on their website next to the matchups now. Um, you know, the, the TV uh, networks are embracing it even more. I think I think that's played as big of a factor in this thing as well because, you know, we, we do look at it awkward. We do look at it a little bit funky when we say, well, Alabama was a 24-point favorite over A&M. We all picked them to crush them. Why didn't they? Um, and so, yeah, I think we're a little bit more reactionary. But I kind of with you guys, like, I, I'm willing to take a step back and go, look, I think Alabama was the best team in the country coming into this game. Yes. Did they find a way to win the game? Yes. How does my opinion change on them suddenly that I don't think they're the best team, even though they still found a way to win the game? So I think the close loss in Austin, in Austin and then the close loss 
against A&M is actually going to give, give Bama some ammo for you know building up more character as a team and, and being able to overcome things when they're not going uh, you know 100% great. So I, I think it actually bodes well for Alabama. Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, as always, man, we appreciate you hopping on with us. Enjoy the weekend of games, man. We'll catch up with you later down the road, all right? All right, guys. Tell our hogs to get a damn win, all right? Come on. Kill it. <laughs>